Clubhouse. Welcome to Pod Clubhouse Press Pass, your one-stop shop podcast where we take you behind the scenes with coverage of festivals, Comic-Con conventions, and live events. This episode is part of our continuing coverage from WonderCon 2022, which took place April 1st to the 3rd in Anaheim, California. Hey, Caroline, how are you doing? Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm good. I am good. It's fun reliving all of these memories from WonderCon. You know, we were it's it's when you're there, you know, you and I were there on the ground, you know, together running around trying to make sure we covered as many things as we did and attending as many things as we did and soaking up as much as we could. But it's also a whirlwind. Like you really need a time to digest and think to yourself, what did I just experience? <laughs> right? And this is the first time you and I have been back to a live convention in two years. And so just getting a chance to be back on the exhibition floor and walking around amongst all the booths, seeing all the great merchandise that people had created themselves, or I loved the Bob's Burger one where they were like the actual licensed booth there to have all these really amazing little Bob's Burgers mementos. Loved all that. Talk to me a little bit about some of your favorite booths that you saw. I, as a general matter, love the exhibition floor of any convention. From Artist Alley, just about every convention has an Artist Alley where you get to just go and talk to different creators of comic books and graphic novels and other just novels and books. And they'll sign stuff. They're also gracious to sign stuff. But they really just love talking about the craft and their work and the whole thing as as a whole. So I love that aspect of it. But I also love the merchandise. <laughs> I'm a big merchandise guy. You know, I have a 14 year old who's very into pop culture maybe even more so than me if that's possible you know so like we have categories of like when we're thinking about souvenir shopping you know something anime-y something pop culture-y you know and and we talk about it that way because these conventions have such very specific areas that they cater to i i mean i think this one wondercon in particular or wondercon this wondercon in particular had a lot of anime prints which i was all about well one bandai namco was there and they were bringing all of their licensed material you had naruto you had dragon ball z studio ghibli was there you know i have great picture of myself with uh, totoro that wonderful little guy not so little guy actually you know i was having a festival i was having a field day with all of the anime related things and i actually walked away with a couple of anime prints too so i was very very excited about that bob's worker was great you know what really caught my interest and i was curious what you thought about it was katie shaw's dragon child tell us a little bit about that booth Oh my goodness. So I have a budding puppeteer in my household. And as I'm like glancing around this entire huge convention floor, I, I spy her booth and just see these really amazing puppet creations that Katie made. And I just, I had to know everything about them. And she just did such a beautiful job. I loved her display. I loved everything she was doing there. It's such a celebration of imagination and fun at these events that I was just like, I love this so much and she was so willing to chit chat with us and you know tell us about her process very very cool 
Another big feature of this year's WonderCon 2022 was Funko. They had a whole section of the exhibition floor to themselves where they were hosting a Beach Bash Live. Uh, it's kind of an indoor beach party. There was kind of like a luau vibe set up on stage. Lots of convention-exclusive Funkos. I think we both walked away with a Peacemaker Funko Pop, if I, if I recall. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and the dope bag, which was actually what I wanted even more than the Funko itself. They had yeah. a really nice tote that I was into. That bag has been used many a sleepover since then, so love it. I, I love that. Um, I love that. <laughs> it's been making its way around around the world. Very cool. Funko, you know, they always bring the sort of more whimsical aspect of a show like this. And so very cool that they had their own fenced off area. So you could kind of mm-hmm. feel like you were really immersed in their booth. Very fun. They had contests and giveaways and things going on throughout so it was, it was like a surfboard outside of yeah. the, their booth too which was fun it was like an so. event within an event it was very neat it was you know we talked about in our quest episode we talked about how the convention planners did a great job of space and managing space by using uh, food trucks and stuff outside to encourage people to go outdoors and increase the amount of space being used by doing outdoors obviously you can't do that with exhibition floor these are very precious items that are you can't just put outside so they had a challenge of making the exhibition floor hold all of the things and all of the booths that it needed to without feeling so claustrophobic because the exhibition floor of a convention is usually the most shoulder to shoulder you're going to be together with someone and i still didn't feel very claustrophobic i think they did a great job i'm curious about you you're very very covid conscious (laughs) and very safe whoa you are (laughs) you are it's a a compliment okay okay I mean, I would, I would say having, having had a lot of experience with all different types of shows that use the same exact layout with booths that are like mashed in together and you're basically, you know, back to back with the booth, you know, behind you. All of that can start to feel very rat maze, labyrinth feeling where you're just like, ah, I can't get out of here. I think they did a great job of giving some sort of relief areas where suddenly there'd be like a little bit of like open space. And it felt like, okay, I can, I can kind of move away from people a little bit more or I can stand over here. Even you were purchasing something and I was like, I'm going to go stand over there where there's just sort of like this open floor, you know, so that you don't feel like you're standing up on top of people while you're waiting in line. Even with that Funko thing, they had an auxiliary area quite far away from the actual booth for people to line up so that they weren't really like congregating all on top of each other. Exactly. They did a good job of space management and there was plenty of floor left over. Now, again, I think that goes towards WonderCon is a smaller attendance wise convention than, say, San Diego Comic Con or New York Comic Con. And they have a lot of nice room. But, they have, but the, right, the Anaheim Convention Center is so freaking big. They have plenty of room to fit everything and not make you feel like you're in a cattle call when you're just walking between booths. It was the most room I feel like I've had to breathe at any convention in a very long time. And which I appreciated, which I appreciated. It was a great event for the comic book fans. I think they had a lot of comic book booths to search through for vintage comic books, which Mm -hmm. is always hit and miss. There's usually, you know, a lot of newer stuff that you can get. But you could also go pull those at your local comic book store. There were several booths, more than I was expecting, dedicated to good vintage hunting. So it really had something for everyone. And cosplay. And of course, you know, the areas where they had autographs with various celebrities. I think that they handled all of those areas well, too. They were kind of spread out around in a way that it didn't feel like, God, I can remember being at Comic Palooza and just feeling like the throngs of people around Mm -hmm. the celebrity area was 
just like people were like really like breathing down your neck. And this wasn't like that. Like you felt like you had some room. You could actually see the people better. I think they did a great job with that. One of my favorite aspects, actually, of the exhibition floor had nothing to do with buying merch. It was just something to behold. There was this whole section, and I don't know if it was planned this way or if it just worked out, of Star Wars astromech droids, remote-controlled droids being used. But these aren't, like, little tiny, like, remote-controlled cars. These were, like, full-size, size-to-life, like, R2-D2, rolling around on the floor, beep-boop-in, and and stuff. (laughs) It was awesome. And kind of harassing people, like, chasing them around, and kind of being playful with the kids and stuff like that. And I think it was, again, sort of that really fun, like, whimsy kind of portion that you, you kind of miss with some of these conventions sometimes. And I love the nerdiest nerd who shows up at one of these things okay i love 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 you but sometimes that can come with a lot of type a energy you know where it's like we're here for this and there's a schedule and we're doing all these things it can get a little like but they managed to have these little moments like that where you felt like you could just be here with kids and just be having fun we don't have to feel like it's like must find this particular collectible like we're all on this mission it didn't feel like that and some cons can get a little like we're all here to do our missions you know right yes i agree it was very much enjoy the fandom however you want to enjoy your fandom no nerd bullying going on um but you know what i saw had like real sleepover energy it did i agree with that even even the queue lines i mean i always end up talking to people in queue lines because one i'm inquisitive and i want to know how people are experiencing the con themselves and what they're looking at because it's also a good way of knowing and taking the temperature of what's hot and what's not but also it was we're back together again there was a lot of that kind of vibe of i've missed this for so long i've missed being around people who are like-minded especially amongst the cosplayers this was a big thing for them to be back out doing their thing and being with other people doing their thing. It had real sleepover energy vibe was the best way I could put it. Yeah, I agree. There was a lot of like um, where you could see people like seeing each other from a distance and like running at each other kind of stuff. Yeah, it felt like a reunion, an exciting reunion of people being like, we're all back. Like, this is awesome. Speaking of reunions, the focus of this episode is not a reunion as much as it is a bridge between seasons. What are we talking about in tonight's episode, Caroline? This episode focuses on our roundtable interviews with the creatives behind the animated short series, The Boys Presents Diabolical. Yes, we got a chance to sit down. It was roundtable interview style with the executive producer, Simon Oresiopa, and the supervising director, Giancarlo Volpe, one of my paisans from the southern country. So... That was a lot. <laughs> I know. I know. Me and Giancarlo, we're going to go for pasta after this. So Nice. Capu- so, Caputo and Volpe be back together. So. <laughs> the Boys Presents Diabolical features eight episodes in season one, and it released on Amazon's Prime Video on March 4th, 2022. I really didn't know very much about this animated series. We here at Pod Clubhouse covered The Boys, the non-animated live action, if you will, uh, series. And so I was familiar with all of that i should say this is the first of two announced spinoffs of the boys this one came out first because it was meant to bridge the gap between people waiting for seasons two and three of the boys they did this but there's another uh spinoff details as yet unannounced but this is in the boys pantheon but you don't need to necessarily have seen the boys to understand it I would say 100%. You could watch this. I think you get a, another level of enjoyment for a couple of different reasons. 
if you look at each one of these episodes, they were being voiced and the style came from a variety of different people. And so if you knew their previous work, you could appreciate the style that you were seeing. You could appreciate the voices in that particular episode. But they hopped around with different styles and different voice actors. And all of that made it, I think, something that you could watch each episode in complete isolation and just enjoy it. Only one of the eight episodes is possibly technically canon in a way that may affect a storyline or or play into the series in the upcoming season but even that and we talk about this during the interviews is not necessarily true but uh talking to uh, Giancarlo and Simon they both made it clear that putting this together there were areas that they were told to stay away from because it may get too close to where the live action mainline series is like the mothership series is going to go so it gave them a chance to really explore kind of the same way if, if you're a marvel fan marvel had a what if uh series that was very popular an animated series uh last year this is kind of maybe a what if version of like the boys where it explores a lot of ideas but it was interesting because they took so many ideas from third parties but people that you would know that's why i think it was so fun right because it was like if you recognize that particular creator's previous work you're like i totally see that person's hand Right. in this episode, which made it really exciting because I think I, I don't know if I would say there were Easter eggs in it. Not exactly. But there were like call overs, not even callbacks, call overs to other shows that made it fun if you knew those other shows, too. Right. So like Justin Roiland, uh, creator mm -hmm. uh, of Rick and Morty and voice of Rick and Morty, he wrote one of the episodes and it was animated in the Rick and Morty style. Garth Ennis who created the comic book that the boys TV show is based on wrote one of the episodes. Now Garth is not actively involved in the production of the actual show. He's just the writer of the source material. So that's cool that you get, you get to have him chime in on the thing that he created, that this is an adaptation of. So another example, like Simon Pegg, who the character we Huey in the comic books is based off of, but couldn't be cast as the role as uh, the role that jack wade plays in the tv show because it was deemed uh, they thought simon was too old to play the role he gets to do the voice of huey in the animated version not something they would be able to do in the live action version so you have that kind of thing you have one of my favorite like weird easter eggs is andy samberg wrote one of the episodes but not the one that you would maybe predict that andy samberg would pick you know so it's it's a really interesting mishmash of animation styles but also collaborators people select Celebrities that want to work with the boys, this was an opportunity for them to bring in all of these other voices that maybe there isn't room for in the Mothership show. So really interesting. And again, don't need to have seen the boys to appreciate the animation. I think it definitely helps. It definitely enhances it. And I think it's for fans of the boys. It is not for kids. I would, oh I would. my gosh, that we need to scream from the mountaintops. This definitely is not for kids. And, you know, I think most people who, you know, enjoy going to cons, I'm going to say, are fully aware that just because something is animated does not mean it's for children. I feel like that's like a well-known fact. But if you're just flipping around over, you know, on Amazon Prime Video and you don't know 
that fact that animation is not for kids all the time, you would be, (laughs) it'd be a rude awakening, I would say. This is something that I talk to them during the interviews about. And, you know, everybody does their best professional, you know, it's up to every parent and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, there is some universal, like, this is probably too much for, I would say, what age would you say? Uh, 14, 15 and up. Yeah, I agree. Which is the same rating, I would say, for Invincible, which is another animated superhero show available on Amazon Prime Video, not for kids. It's superheroes. It's animated. I mean, it feels like we're checking all the boxes for things that kids should be able to watch. No, this is not for the little ones. This is for mature and older teens and up to appreciate. There is a lot of violence, a lot of gore, more sexual in your window than you would probably expect. Just all of the themes that young kids you probably don't want to expose them to. And visuals. I mean, and they, visuals. Yeah, they did they're not, not shying away shy, from yeah. Uh-uh. They did not shy away from blood, guts, gores, you know, sexiness, yeah. whatever. Uh, all that stuff is just right in your face. So, for with sure, just the, be aware. Yeah. <laughs> with, with all of that, let's go along to our interviews. So, stay tuned now for interviews with Simon Raciopa and Giancarlo Volpe. Our first interview is with executive producer Simon Raciopa. How are you guys? We're doing good. good, good. Thank you so much for making time for me today. Just in case, can are you serious? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you guys. We like move to... some stuff around. <laughs> we made it work. No, I, I do appreciate it. Please introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Simon Rassiopa. I'm one of the executive producers and showrunners. Uh, uh, I'm the executive producer, one of the executive producers, and the showrunner of The Boys Diabolical. I'm going to start off with the easy one, but in every panel we've had little kids come up to the microphone and say, is this appropriate for me? Can I watch this? So what is your target audience, would you say, for the Oh, my God. I don't episodes? have kids, so I'm probably <laughs> the wrong person to ask this question. Everybody should see it. No, uh, it's, it's mature in both language and content. Uh, I think parents should make their own decision about that, but definitely I would I would not say it is not a kid's cartoon. Absolutely. Uh, you know? Laser baby. It's like Looney Tunes <laughs> for the next generation. Yeah. You know? yeah, there's probably actually, like, if the kids are really young, like one or two, it's probably fine. Exactly. Uh, then there's a dangerous age, and then, it, and then it's fine again. So. Can you talk a little bit about getting Simon Pegg to come on board to voice Huey, finally? Sure. Famously, he's drawn after him, but has not been able to play him in the show. Well, yeah, so uh, when we were putting the episode together, so that Garth Innes wrote that episode, and the idea always was to make it a Garth's version of the boys, not Eric. So Eric, obviously, Eric Kripke developed the series for the live-action series. It's that's his interpretation of the boys. We wanted to do Garth's interpretation of the boys, which is where it came from. Uh, so if you've read the original comic books, you know the character of Huey looks like Simon Pegg, mm-hmm. was based on Simon Like Derek Robertson, who does the art, like has come out and had conversations with Simon Pegg. Like Simon Pegg is aware it's based on him. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, and obviously Simon is a friend of the show because he appears. In, he plays his father. Exactly right. So it was a no. It was just a no-brainer. We were like, so much so that we were like, if Simon can't do this for schedule reasons, we will take the character out of the episode for sure. We weren't going to have anybody else play Wee Huey in our show. Luckily, when we talked to him, he was like, "Are you kidding? Absolutely, I will do that." Right and it was just scheduling. Uh, and then he we sent a. He was in uh, outside of London at his home. We sent a studio. Uh, a record session like uh, a remote group that went up there installs a little because it was deep pandemic that they come into your room and they set up a microphone and blankets and stuff and then they leave and then you wait for 15 minutes and then Simon Peck can come in and record safely uh, wow, and he was great. yeah yeah it was the only way to do it safely back then uh, and he was just so 
happy and so great to work with because he was like, I thought I would never get a chance to play this character because I'm too old now. And he's like, this is my chance to do it. So. Awesome. Uh, so he was uh, amazing. So yeah, it's great. Did any other voice cast members say I gotta come on and do this person or this person? Uh, Jason Isaacs, who played uh, Butcher, uh, Billy Butcher in Garth's version as well, was really excited about playing that because he was super familiar with the books. Mm -hmm. uh, had, was Carl not available? Or? Uh, Carl was not available, unfortunately, at the time. Uh, which was yeah, which was a uh, you know because he was our. We were going to have Carl do it, but unfortunately, there was uh, some issues came up uh, scheduling-wise, so we couldn't. We had a very, very tight schedule on our show, so we couldn't afford to wait very long if someone wasn't available. Uh, so we had Jason Isaacs came in, and who had, I think, at some point, someone had brought him the comics and was being uh, had been like, "You need to play. <laughs> this is like you on the page." Right. So. When we came to him, he was like, "Are you kidding? Absolutely, I will do this again." And That's awesome. he was great, and he was, and he was just like, "I've got this, no problem." Because we're like, "Well, the character's kind of." He's like, "I know," and then he would just do it, and we we're like, "Yes, exactly, perfect, the perfect South London Cockney accent," because that's where he grew up. So. Did any other actors reach out to you to participate in the show? Uh, well, there were, we had some actors we knew were fans of the boys. Uh, so the Mothership show, we call it the main show, the Mothership, um, uh, had people who had been talking to them who wanted to be on the show. So like uh, Kamel Nanjiani, we knew was a huge fan of the show and had been asking about getting involved in it some way. So we reached out to him and his wife, Emily Gordon, and they were like, yeah, of course. We'd love to be involved. So usually we went out to our to our acts. We have a great casting director, Linda LaMontagne, who was excellent at just like being, uh, at approaching actors and giving us lists of people who she knew either were interested in the show or would be right for the roles. Uh, so yeah, it was just a matter of working with her. You built, you're essentially, you guys are essentially starting to build a, uh, an MCU-like universe. The VCU. The, the VCU. The VCU. The VOD Cinematic Universe. Um, what kind of other projects or styles, um, when we were talking to John Carlo, he mentioned that he looked at it as, people were talking about it like the Animatrix. What kind of other stories would you want to tell in this sort of format? Because you, you have such a broad variety in the episodes. Yeah, well, I kind of see Diabolical, like if we were lucky enough to get a second season, to be like a grab bag of like different different aspects that you wouldn't see in the Mothership show. So we don't want to either repeat anything from the Mothership show, and we don't want to repeat anything we've already done in season one. It has to be new, new material. I think it'd be great to do some international stuff. Uh, obviously, The Boys is set in New York, uh, but Vought has its tentacles around the world. So there's stuff happening in Asia. There's stuff happening in Australia. You know, there's stuff happening in Russia. It'd be great to do a Vought, like what is... What's happening in the rest of the world during uh, the Mothership show when we're just seeing what's happening with Homelander and the crew of the Seven? That does sound like fun. So you're asking, what if is ha what if something else is happening in another? Uh, yeah, we would just we would call it maybe, because what if I think is trademark. Maybe we, we could be like, <laughs> what else? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, so it's a whole. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. It's a whole series of episodes, and each one has a different stone, tone and style and everything. You can't obviously say which one is a favorite, because mm. you're not supposed to. But thank um, you, thank you, by the way, for recognizing <laughs> that. Everyone's like, which one's your favorite? I'm like, I love more. Who knows? Which one would you say you had the most fun doing? Oh, my God. that's well. So I wrote the last one, and obviously there's a lot of fun writing an episode, too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. But I would say the most fun one was probably Aquafina's episode, which I, I know is a very divisive episode. Some people love it. Some people absolutely hate it. But uh, putting together like the soundtrack for that, uh, we commissioned an original uh, Japanese pop song for that episode. Oh, that's super so, cool. Yeah, so that was really Who was fun. The artist? 
so the two we had two composers, uh, Zach uh, Leo Brandenburg and Zach Rosen. The two they were the two composers from Cobra Kai, and uh, Zach and Leo, and they were unbelievably incredible on the show. They're like, we know exactly the kind of tone you want. We know what we what what you need for this episode. They came on board, pitched us some music. We're like, yes. Uh, and then the director for that episode, uh, uh, Maddie Flores, Madeline Flores, uh, also was a big fan of like Japanese pop music. So she introduced a couple, but she was like, it'd be great if we could get this band called Nikrai Taki. They're a Japanese pop band and we license their music and they're in the show. So that one was really fun putting it together because I learned a lot on that, that of, of sort of other artists that were not normally in my purview. So yeah. That's serendipitous. That's great. Yeah. Let's just do one more question if we can. If you, you had said that you, you know, kind of want to do a second season, of course. Yeah. Have you got ideas already for those? And are, were there ones lingering from this one that didn't make it in? So funny enough, there weren't a lot of ideas lingering because what we did is when we knew we were going to do eight of them, we started going out to the eight writers, like Andy Samberg and, you know, the Glazers and everything like that. So we just started filling up those slots one by one, and we stopped when we when we had eight. Mm. Uh, so there weren't, like, lost episodes or things we started, episodes we started working on that we didn't do. Like, you, on a normal traditional television show you might do that because you're coming up with ideas for episodes this was really like you're doing an episode okay so you're doing that one now and we just mm -hmm. set that and we did that eight times um but season two i think i'd love to do just expand it even more i'd like i'd like to do some live action episodes i'd like to do uh every i don't want to repeat ourselves that's the biggest thing i want it to be brand new no repetition and stuff that you haven't seen anywhere else. So that's here's, kind of uh, here's to a petition for the Boys International. Yes. Exactly, yes. right? It's not a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. Really quick bonus. Yeah. Are we getting a crossover with Rick and Morty now that you've brought Justin <laughs> Roiland into the fold? That would be amazing. Oh I'd have to, have to figure Butcher that out. and Rick and Morty. You know I, just, uh, you know. I mean, we kind of did it. It's pretty Rick and Morty, right? So. That's right. Uh, thank you, thank so you everyone. Thank you, thank you so much. Our next roundtable interview is with supervising director Giancarlo Volpi. It's kind of nice to talk about stuff, actually, you know, because for so long it's NDAs and secrets. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's good to, like, finally talk. Yeah, <laughs> well, please, by all means, talk. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> What's that? Can you introduce yourself? Sorry. Oh yeah, um, uh, I'm John Carlo Volpe, and I'm supervising director on The Boys Diabolical. Uh, not having talked about things in a while, I think that plays into why we had this animated series. Can you talk a little bit about why going with the animated series versus the live action show as a spinoff? Oh, so I mean, it was very much because of uh, the pandemic. Um, the Boys season three was delayed uh, shooting schedule because of you know the world being shut down, and um, Eric Kripke and Seth and Evan all collectively wanted to give the fans something to to, to chew on while they're waiting for season three. We're so grateful. Oh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. So you know, animation. Um, God bless you know this 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 art form that I that I chose. Uh, it, it didn't really slow us down uh, the last couple of years. So we were available and ready to go. So we we, we made some cartoons. Um, <laughs> I saw a couple of people online saying like they made this instead of season three, and it's like obviously not. <laughs> like that implies that like they somehow trained the, the entire like crew of the boys to like animate instead of like right. film. They yeah. obviously didn't watch the show either. <laughs> right, right. So yes, that that you know was ha happening in tandem. In fact, there were times when we couldn't get get Eric on the phone because he was busy on set so you know we we've been uh, doing both <laughs>
So I, I take it there's not a lot of. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I was gonna say I take it there's there's uh, is there connections between season three and the spinoff? Are we looking at a shared un? Well, I mean obviously we're looking at a shared universe, but could we be watching uh, the series four clues to season three or? There's a a little bit of that. Um, and the only reason why I know that is because there were a couple notes that we got as we were making the show that was like, no, 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 don't do that because we're going to explore that in season three. So we don't want to like repeat ourselves or, or contradict ourselves. So there's a little bit of that. But I, in, in all honesty, I don't fully know what happens in season three. I have like a couple ideas. Um, you know, it's contextually from like like the directives we got. So, uh, so you're frothing a bit like the fans. Yeah, do. I'll probably be as surprised. There may be a couple moments where I'll go, "Oh, that's why they made me cut that line," or something. <laughs> you know, so so it'll be fun. Now, each of the different episodes had a different type of animation style. Whose idea was that? How did that come about? I want to say that um, you know some of that sort of predates me being hired, but the as I understand it, like. Um, Seth and Evan and Eric were like, let's do, let's make this like Animatrix or make it like, I don't know if you remember uh, Spike and Mike's Twisted yes, Animation absolutely. Festival. Every year in the way. They wanted it to feel something like that, but in the boys universe. And so I was like, yeah, let's, let's make it feel like it was eight different filmmakers, you know, with their unique voice and style. And so the writers um, all kind of like came up with their own ideas and um, had sort of like a short, uh, description of like, yeah, this one should kind of feel like anime, or this one should sort of feel like this and that. And then, as later as we hired directors, um, they helped you know visualize what that would look like and how to pull it off, and you know under a very compressed schedule. So, at this point, are the boys just people are running to work with them, collaborator wise and guest star wise? You have Kamal Nanjiani, you've got Aquafina writing and voicing in here, or. Was the show reaching out to certain people? And if so, how did they choose their collaborators? There, there's clearly some kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, network to draw from, for sure. I mean, there's there's friends of Seth. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that that was a factor. You know, people are just in his cell phone. Right. <laughs> um, we were also given, like, a list of celebrities that are fans of the boys. And it was kind of, like, That's stuff friendly, cool. like, you know, hey, keep in mind that, you know, Method Man really like... You know, we didn't get Method Man, but, right. <laughs> but you know, like, just these seemingly random celebrities. I want to be Hostage 3. And there was a little bit of that, you know. So yeah. Some of the people we got were like, sorry, you're playing just, you know, uh, uh, Aqua Agua. <laughs> you know, <it's> <laughs> <laughs> one word in the entire <laughs> Zola. So, <clears throat> there's several different episodes, and you obviously can't say which one's your favorite. I'm going to ask, which one was the most work? Ooh, the most work. Mm -hmm. um, man, that's a good question. Uh, you know, so... And you can interpret most work however you like. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things, like the Aquafina episode, for example, ran long. Um, she gave us so much um, wild lines in the record that we, it was hard you to pick. had to reanimate? It's hard to pick which take to use, so we were, like, you know, trying to use all of them, and then the episode was, like, 18 minutes long or something. We had to, to cut it down to make it producible. So that was challenging. Um, I think also there was a little extra tension on One Plus One because it was so... Um, faithful to you know Eric has since sort of dubbed it like canonical to the series so it, that went through several rounds of like making sure that it, it all worked correctly so remember that one was a, like 
like the last one we shipped and it was like we we're all tired and like oh i gotta get this one done right well that's the episode that simon wrote and you co-directed right. on top of it feels very canonical to the show is there a reason why eric allowed it to be done here in this animated short versus covering it in the show it's an important origin story for it, homelander it's, it's a great question i think that originally it was conceived as like a what if type of scenario like maybe this could be homelander's uh origin but to Simon's credit, I think he did such a great job that Eric was like, ah, you know what, I'm convinced this this happened. This all fits, it works, you know, like, I'm. Uh, this is canonical, you know. It is now. So, uh, yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Uh, oh, <laughs> we're going around in a, we're going around in a circle. Um, <laughs> let's take a second to talk about uh, one of the more poignant episodes, and while I'm drawing a blank on the name, the cancer episode, that one was oh, yeah. probably the most powerful, you don't expect to see something like that in the boys universe. What, what inspired that for you guys? Like, that, that was such, so different in tone, and it was really well done and beautiful and sad, like... Yeah, I I would imagine that Andy, you know, he, he chose that subject matter. So there must have been, you know, I can only assume, you know, we didn't pry that he's got a personal, you know, story. I think a lot of us do. Um, and, uh, you know, just wanted it to, to you know, a, an interesting hook. Like, could you use Compound D to cure cancer? You know, and, and it's, it's um, you know... It, at its core, not a cynical take on the boys' universe, because a lot of it, and I, and I, and I say this with affinity, um, the boys is sort of a cynical take on corporations and, and power and greed and all that. Um, this is like, you know, a flip on that. It's like, what if you could use this power to actually help people? And, um, you know, it's really just a beautiful episode. I'm, I'm so happy with that, especially the way Steve-On directed it. You know, it's just a, really proud of that one. Is that something you could see people doing in, like, future future seasons? And, you know, just trying to bring less of a cynical, less of a <laughs> Disney, <laughs> um, less of a, a cynical take on... Um, on that kind of stuff and do more personal, more explore, more explorative. Stuff. Well, do you mean sort of in, in in entertainment in general, or specifically on the boys? Oh, specifically on the boys. That's a good question. I mean, you know, um, I'd like to think that uh, you know that that resonates with everyone, where it's like, oh yeah, we can we can also do that. I think it you know would make the show that much richer if you have moments of like, I can actually help someone with my powers, you know a little more contrast with it, you know. Excellent, yeah, no. Homelander's assholery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. I'm going to start right Thank you. I just want to thank Simon and Giancarlo for their time. These press rooms and these roundtable interviews, they can be an exhausting affair. And I think these guys were so gracious to speak with all of us. They really seem to be excited to be there and talk about this thing that they created. Both of their energy, I thought, was really, really high during all these interviews. I think the show itself is very fun and it, it absolutely is so creative, you know? I mean, because every single episode has its own style, its own point of view, its own tone, even it keeps you on your toes, you know? And that, that can really, I just think it's like invigorating to watch. I like the boys, obviously, and we also cover it here at Pod Clubhouse. I really, really enjoyed this far more than I, I enjoyed all of the episodes far more than I thought it was going to because I'm at an age now where I don't necessarily tune into the animated series, even if it is for older kids or adults. 
it takes a special kind of animated show to really capture my attention. And I think this did. It's an anthology series. They're kind of shorts. I think they're all 10, 15 minutes long. But they're well done. They're well done. They're well produced. This was not just a schlock effort. This was like real effort went into this real animation effort went into this real writing and the voice acting in all of these shorts is off the charts and they have some big names i mean you have like camille and johnny right is is one of the most minor characters in one of these shorts but he wanted to do something with the boys so he's in here you know stuff like that is really fun to watch so i think whether you're a fan of the boys or not you should definitely check this out if you are a fan of the boys i think you absolutely need to check this out while you're waiting for season three to drop Oh, my gosh. I think you will find so many little moments that <laughs> you will grab onto and wonder, are they going to continue on with this? Is this the thing? Will they will they try to, like, expand on this point? I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Please head over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash podclubhouse, as well as our sister site for written content, popculturereview.com, for more coverage from WonderCon 2022 and all of our Press Pass podcast coverage. Even before, and just one little asterisk, I'm going to hear. Even yes. if you're a fan of The Boys, even if you don't want to watch all eight episodes, go watch the eighth episode. One plus one equals two. One, yeah. I think it's the best episode. But two, it gives a backstory to why Homelander is the way he is. It, Homelander as a very young soup. It's really interesting. I, I think that's the one that looks like it may be canon to the show. Definitely go check it out. They have Anthony Starr doing the voice of Homelander. Um, yeah, they, definitely. If you're if you're gonna watch one of them, that's the one to watch. That's my little two p my little two cents <laughs> for you. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.